Hello everyone and welcome to the Chai with Champs podcast season 1. I'm Ritika Agrawal, your host, where I sit down and have a virtual cup of tea with some of the most inspiring and successful individuals from around the world. Join me as I delve into their stories, explore their triumphs and challenges, and discover the ingredients that help brew them success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an artist, an athlete, or simply someone looking to grow and improve, you'll find valuable insights and wisdom in every episode. So grab your cup of chai, sit back, and join me on this exciting journey. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the Chai with Chimes podcast. I am so excited to share your story with our audience and learn more about your journey. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for your time. Um, Before we get started, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Anna, but I go by AJ. I am, if you can, obviously it's a podcast, so you can't see me. So I'm a white woman with brown hair and I'm wearing a white sweater and my pronouns are she, her. I was to the long and short of it. I was adopted when I was younger. I was two years old and came to the States. I was born without my left hand and forearm. And so when I got here, I was able to have opportunities that never could have had of where I was adopted from. And so I had some really incredibly supportive parents and ended up entering the world of sports. And so I was a swimmer. I ended up being a professional swimmer and making it all the way to the Paralympic Games in 2012, where I received a bronze medal, which was amazing, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And um I was actually ended up training uh, for the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio, but ended up having a career-ending surgery about a couple months away from trial. So it didn't end up working out, and I had to transition into the working world really quickly, bounced around a little bit, and now I'm at a really cool company called Interbrand doing inclusive design. So long-winded, but uh, I'm sure we're going to dive into all of that. (laughs) So amazing. I'm so excited to talk more about it. Um, You know, let's start off with what inspired you to pursue swimming as a sport and how did you first get involved in it? It's a really good question. So I have always loved the water and, you know, to a point where we would go to uh, a family's summer pool or like the club over where they live and I would like run to the water and jump in. I didn't know how to swim at that point. And so my parents had to be like, no, get back here. But I just love the water so much I had to be in it. And so um, some of it, it just clicked. The water felt good. I was good at swimming. Uh, I even had uh, or my mom had parents asking me like, well, why don't you make her, you know, do soccer or something, something where she doesn't have to use her arms, even though I have one and a half, you know, (laughs) and uh, she was like, well, have you seen that girl run? Have you her <laughs> hand-eye coordination or hand-foot coordination? Not so good. So it just uh, ended up being a, a passion and I loved it. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Can you tell us more about your journey from continuing a sport that you just said was encouraged possibly only by your parents um, to <laughs> winning a bronze medal at the Paralympic Games? Yeah, I have gotten lucky 
you know, I mean, all of us lucky and unlucky, but had some really incredible supporters on my journey. And, you know, my parents were always that they never really told me no, they never really told me that I had a disability. It was, you know, in, in high school, I wanted to try out for lacrosse just to try a different sport. And they're like, yeah, sure. And a lot of people again, were like, why, you know, the, you, you're supposed to have two hands for that. And it's like, well, she's doing it. So yeah, I guess not. And so, um, and so, yeah, I had some incredible coaches that just always encouraged me. And then I also learned about the Paralympics pretty young. I was about 10 years old when I found out about them. My mom was part of a uh, parents of amputees kind of group and met another parent with um, a kid who was also adopted and also has the exact same disability that I did. And so they connected and invited us to come to uh, Paralympic trials actually for Athens. So they had some, they would welcome in kids who just wanted to see. So it wasn't about obviously trying to make the games at 10 years old, but just understand the world, see people with disabilities from and every type of disability under the sun. And so through knowing that there was a world where I knew I could succeed and just having um, club team coaches and things like that support me, I was able to, like I said, kind of snowball, get faster, get the right training and programs and go from there. Wow, that is so inspiring. And just a personal, like, I mean, this this story is so inspiring. And I know we're going to dive more into it. But doing a sport with a disability, and I know just gen generally, there are such few people that consider going into sports and consider even competing for that matter. So I just have to say it's so, so, so commendable. Um, what was it like to compete on the world stage? Yeah, that's a good question. It was incredible. I so like I said, my games was the 2012 Paralympic Games and they were hosted in London and they were probably the most inclusive games yet to date. Tokyo, I think, was really good. And we're going to see how Paris and obviously L.A. go. But London has been the epitome of what a good Paralympic Games was. They had build uh billboards around the city that said thanks for the warm-up olympics were next and things like that like just incredible stuff the the venues were packed the volunteers were people were fighting over to go to the paralympics instead of the olympics right like phelpsy who right and so it was it was just an incredible incredible environment and you know it being able to get a medal and be able to so you the way it was in London is you're at one side of the pool and then way at the other, you can see all the flags. And so I actually got my medal on a relay. And so I was with some teammates that I had grown up with. There was eight other uh, amazing athletes on this podium. And then we got to all see our flags there and it just kind of hit me and I bawled my eyeballs out for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. I can only imagine. That's incredible. Um, I'm sure, you know, with the games came a lot of challenges. So what challenges have you faced as a Paralympic swimmer, both in and out of the pool? And how have you overcome them? It's a really good question. And kind of to the point of what you were saying of just being in sport as a disabled person, but also as a disabled woman, right? There's there's so many different layers to it. And, you know, when you add in other layers of religion or ethnicity and things like that, um, it can get even harder for people to enter into sport. And so it has been quite the journey. Uh, you know, women as women, we're usually not encouraged to go into sport as much. And then with being disabled, like I said, it was like, 
why don't you just do track and field or running or, you know, and stuff like that. And I was like, I hate to run. I'm a swimmer. My shins explode immediately. <laughs> I have to immediately go to the doctor. And so um, it was challenging. But like I said, I had, I, you know, now retrospectively, but one of the most supportive moms in the entire world who really just shielded me from it. You know, there's always, you know, bullies. It doesn't matter. You know, you can be the most beautiful person in the world and everything's good. And, you know, and there's always going to be a bully. So, you know, we, I, I came up against different things like that. I remember one time I was at a high school meet and I remember someone next to me looking over at me and telling their friends that they would beat me. And I was like, you feel confident about that? And I don't think I've ever raced as hard as I did that. And I beat them. And so um, (laughs) exactly. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, So, but a lot of it, you know, were the adults around me. They were the ones who were like, oh, I don't know if she should do lacrosse, you know, is swimming the right sport or, you know, and my mom just always pushed to make sure I mean, my dad was always supportive, but he's a dad, right? And so my mom was always there making sure that I had the right opportunities and the equal opportunities that usually don't come with this. And I'm also lucky I am just missing my left hand and forearm. And so I was able to keep up for the most part with my comrades, comrades, uh, teammates in, um, in practices and things like that. And then so again, once you add those a little bit layers, if you have a more severe disability and you're not able to keep up, it um, it can affect you a lot more. But like I said, I had some incredible support systems around me. Kudos to the true superwomen and the cheerleaders. Honestly, like if you have that support from your parent, I think nothing else matters. And I, that is so relatable on so many levels, even with my parents. So I mean, kudos to your mom. Um, she's a superwoman and a superhero. In more ways than one. Yes, exactly. I know you briefly mentioned what made you pivot to the world of corporate and advertising, but I'd love to learn more in detail. Um, And what were some of the lessons or learnings you brought with you when moving into a more corporate role? Yeah, it's a good question. I think what's really exciting is that when, especially women uh, in marginalized women, compete in sport, um, you know, the world is always telling us that we're not good enough. Whereas in sport, you're being told that you can always do more, your body can do more, you can perform better. And so being able to have self-confidence really helps me in move to a career in the corporate world, become a corporate stooge, right? It's the hardworking, you're used to it, you are on a team, you're used to working with people you don't like, but you still have to show up every day, right? You have a coach or a coworker or a manager that you don't like, right? So I was able to be exposed to that pretty young. So as I mentioned, I had to have a surgery and um, went in to the working world really quickly. I was very fortunate to do so, but I almost wish I had taken a little bit more time in between, you know, same thing, whether it's college or finding out what you want to do, taking that, that breath is always good. Anyway, I know that's a question for later, but, um, and so I ended up going in working for Speedo, um, naturally. (laughs) So I was in sales for them for two years and it was through my coach who, uh, Chuck Batchelor, an incredible, incredible person. And so was able to get me in and working with them 
And so learned a lot about how businesses move, but also learned sales wasn't quite for me. Got to do some marketing. That's what I went to school for. And then um, actually speaking of my mom, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so I realized very quickly that I didn't care about swimsuits. <laughs> and so I was like, I, you know, there's, there's worse things going on. So I ended up transitioning and going nonprofit and working at Boston Children's Hospital for a couple years, more again, in kind of like a marketing role, sales, cause marketing. And it was really exciting. Again, learned a lot. Another lesson of this isn't for me, which is, a, is, is an important lesson to get. And so that's when I got into the advertising world and kind of the purpose marketing and advertising and DE&I within all of that space. And so I worked at Porter Novelli for about two years there on their internal comms team. And then when I found out about Interbrand and what they're doing with inclusive design and the inclusion of people with disabilities and all the work, I was like, well, that's going to happen for sure. So I've been here for almost a year. So it's been a wild ride of job jumping and things like that. But like I said, a lot of really good lessons of what I don't want to do along the way as well. Yeah, I think that's such an important lesson because a lot of people don't talk about it. It's always like, what's your end goal? And here are the steps that you need to take. But how do you kind of figure that out? Like, how do you know what your passion is till you don't really experience the different kinds of jobs? And I think that's a really, really good point that, you know, no matter what, like figure it out, go do it, go experience it. And you can always pivot and always move around. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I love that. I think experience, even if it's a bad experience, is worth it. I think you're 100% right. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm I'm so inspired right now. And I, I'm sure my audience is, is our audience is as well. Um, how do you hope to use your platform to inspire others, both when it, within and outside of the world of sports? Yeah, such a good question. And so I think it really stems from, and what I hope to really inspire is uh, it was coined. So intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. And what it really means is that you have to understand people as a whole and all of the different marginalizations that come with that. Like we talked about uh, being disabled, a woman, I'm queer, like things like that, and understanding how that un unpacks people. And so and how equity has to be a part of that. And so what I, that's always my message, right? Is like, who's not in the room? Who are we missing? You know, we may be designing for, you know, we could be designing pack for spaghetti, but hey, you know who eats spaghetti? People with disabilities. Let's talk about that, right? And so um, really making sure, but then also understanding um, with that, you know, what are the different ethnic barriers? Where are you selling it? Um, how are you bringing in the LGBTQIA community, whatever it is. And so I think that's what I always try and inspire is just understanding. And I think I'm sure you understand this and so many people of like, you always know what it's like to be left out. And so once you have a platform, you have to just leave that door open behind you. So that's what I always hope to kind of inspire is making sure that not only can I get through doors, but everyone else around me can also get through them. Thank you for sharing. And yes, extremely relatable. Um, as a South Asian, as an Indian, as a woman of color, there are many instances like that. So I definitely have to give it to people like you, people like you in the industry that are truly making a difference um, and making our voices heard. So thank you for doing that. Um, that actually transitions very nicely into my next question. Um, can you speak to the importance of accessibility and inclusion in sports and the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite expressions is that you can't fall out of a basement. 
And um, accessibility really is that basement. And so, you know, inclusion is kind of building up those stairs up to it. And equity is like having the big house or building or whatever it is that we're talking about. And so accessibility is really, you know, when we talk about sports, right, you can have and it, it kind of goes so many different ways. You know, you can have like a Paralympic swimming meet, right? And, but if the building itself isn't accessible, then like, why are we having this meet here? Whereas if you're having a, uh, a meet, let's say for people without disabilities for swimming and the meet is accessible, but those people with disabilities aren't invited in, then it doesn't matter. Right. And so accessibility is the baseline to get that door open. But equity is about building those systems to make sure that people are invited in. And it's the same thing in our world, too, in the advertising world, where, again, it's like accessibility, inclusion, these things are the basis of like human rights, really, <laughs> if we want to get into it. Yeah. Um, but then it's that equity to ensure that more South Asians are having podcasts and being able to talk to champions and having chai with each other. Like This is the important thing. And that can only be built through right now, unfortunately, is equity and lifting that part up and undoing so many different systems that end up holding us back. And so that like DE&I, you know, that inclusion, that accessibility is just that ground level, just making sure that we have a good base to be able to build up from. And then once we can talk about having the right employment um, stats and things like that and the right procedures and things like that, then we can start talking about equity and stuff like that. So a bit of a broader answer to your question, but for accessibility, it's one of those things where it's always people are like, oh, well, if it's ADA approved, it's good enough. And it's like, well, technically, one step entrances are ADA approved, the Americans with Disabilities Act, sorry. And so um, it's one of those things where like, just because you're doing the bare minimum doesn't mean that you're doing well. <laughs> That's so true. And so rightly said, I'm sure you've had many experiences um, in your journey. How have you kind of seen this progress during your career? Yeah, I think just the amount of people starting to talk about it, I think really even in the past maybe year or two, disability has started to talk about uh, talk about more in broader contexts. You know, the Paralympics are getting more attention every single year. The, um, you know, representations at the Oscars, right? Or um, just in regular media or advertising and things like that, which is really, really exciting. People are starting to understand it more. And more importantly, especially when it comes to DE&I conversations where disability is so interesting because it can be part of any group and any marginalized community. And it's usually the last thing to be thought of. And so um, it's just so important to make sure that it's those <laughs> that disability is being included in all of those different types of conversations. Absolutely. Do you have any like personal stories to share here? Yeah, absolutely. So great question. So one of the interesting things that I actually talk about, I have a TEDx talk, which was amazing. Um, and one of the most jarring experiences I had was with a swimmer. I was just coaching on the side. She lived in New York and happened to be in Boston and she had a similar disability to me. And so um, they were like, let's, you know, have a one-on-one. -on -one. So not only are we talking about technique, but how to get out of a pool without falling on your face and embarrassing yourself and landing on another swimmer, right? <laughs> Things like that. Just, just the basics. And 
uh, we went out to dinner afterwards and the, the athlete asked me, you know, does it get better? And what she was saying is, does the ableism, does the staring, the disableism, like, does those things get better as you kind of get older, right? Um, they were in high school and so, which, you know, high school sucks for everyone uh, for the most part. So it's like, <laughs> not really high school's high school, but also I, you know, I had to think about it and I was like, not necessarily right now, but that was about five or six years ago. And now thinking about it, we have incredible in, in the sports world, we have incredible um, people like I'm on the board of Adaptive Sports New England or Move United that is starting to do grassroots movements, which we all know grassroots is so incredibly important. And so now being able to say that no matter what state you're in, there's somewhere for you to be able to play a sport. If you have a people, uh, if you have a disability, you know, it's just super exciting to see that. And then, like I said, just being able to see advertisements with people with disabilities in organic ways, not in a like inspirational, you know, prop or check mark, right? Just part of everyday life, whether it's at Target, just seeing a kid in a wheelchair in their kids department, no statement, no necessary anything like this is just inclusion. So not necessarily one example, but I think, you know, again, we can't fall out of a basement, but yeah. <laughs> things are definitely going up. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And I feel like you more or less answered my next question, but let me know if you have any other advice you would like to give to young people with disabilities who may be interested in pursuing sports, but who may not have the same opportunities as their able peers. Yeah, absolutely. It's just do it. <laughs> uh, not to, to, to <laughs> say it's that easy, right? But I think, you know, like I said, you know, as women, we're told we're no, you know, whether it's the color of your skin or whatever. Um, I shouldn't say bullshit, but bullshit <laughs> there is. Um, there, you know, just try it out. Like we were talking about, experience it, you know, lacrosse, it, it wasn't because I was really good at lacrosse or I wanted to go to, you know, NCAA championship in lacrosse. I was like, I just wanted to try it. The people around me were doing it. it seemed cool. I was in Virginia. It's a thing there. Like I was like, yeah. sure, let's try it out. I wasn't very good at it, to be honest, uh, but I got to try it. And so it's one of those things where you never know. It You could be amazing at it or you could... Sport is so important for people with disabilities because, like I said, it teaches you about your body in a way that just kind of going day to day that you never could. And so just being able to be free in the water and be able to swim and test your joints and, and your muscles and things like that, or being able to try out a racing chair and understand the speed that that comes with, or, you know, there's definitely barriers to sport. It's very expensive in general, especially for marginalized communities. But then when you add in like prosthetics and things like that, it can be, but you know, starting small and just trying it out, talk to someone, talk to an athlete or a friend or a coach or something like that, and just start the conversations. The worst thing people could say is no, and then you know about that program, and then you can try something else. And so, plus we're used to being told no a lot, so I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that. Are there any resources particularly that you know of that you probably recommend um, to young professionals, young young kids over there? 
Yeah, in sport, definitely like Move United is an incredible organization that has a lot of information on this, whether it's global, national or local, they definitely have a lot of information that can help answer that. Same with um, the USOPC, United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And then kind of in the advertising and business world, the Valuable 500 started by Caroline Casey, it calls in businesses to put disability inclusion on their bottom line. And so they have incredible reports coming out every year and just a lot of information about disability in the workplace and in advertising and business. And so for either of those worlds or both, whatever, um, those are some great resources. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and if you could go back in time, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think the biggest one is probably just calm down a little bit. <laughs> you know, we're we're all so used to seeing everyone succeeding, right? On on Instagram, on social media, or in the movies, right? It's it's kids who are taking over the world and are superheroes and things like that. And so it feels you get this feeling where you're like, if I'm not succeeding right now, I never will. And so it's one of those things where it's like, appreciate where you are in the moment, look back and understand the successes that you have and know that, you know, I'm 29 years old. I don't have to have everything figured out, right? Like no one does. And even if I was 69 years old, it doesn't matter. And so I think I wish I could go back and be like, it's okay. Enjoy the moment, live it up. It's it, you're never going to have this time back. That is so rightly said. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I think all of us and I'm sure our audience spend so much time on social media and social media kind of is just that layer that you see that that first bright shining layer nobody really gets to see what happened behind the scenes the tears the struggle etc and i think that's the journey we're here to talk about that yes you know we did achieve something but how did we achieve that and you can do that too but at your own pace so like i always like to say run your own race stop comparing yourself with others yep you are a hundred percent right because I actually was talking about this in therapy the other day. Um, we were talking about the green-eyed monster, right? Being jealous of other people's successes. And it's one of those things, again, as women, we tend to put ourselves down before um, someone else can. And a lot of that kind of feeling and comparing to other people is like thinking that you're not good enough and jumping to that conclusion. Because sometimes people do think that or the world has told you that where it's usually like, someone else's success has nothing to do with your success. You're going to kill it no matter what. And so it's such a good point just to, to kind of build on that. Yeah, thank you. Um, going to my last question that I ask all my podcast guests, it's my favorite question. Um, what are the three ingredients that fill Anna's cup of success? Mm, so three ingredients for success for me is um, reflecting, like we were just talking about, you know, knowing that I have been successful is key to finding a success later. Um, having a bit of patience is a part of that for me as well. Um, you know, especially being an athlete, you're always trying to get faster and things like that. So patience has never quite been my best, but it is key to success and knowing the plan and, and sticking to it and making sure you don't give up before you even get to like step two. And then I think the third one is just grit, you know, as an athlete. And again, as a marginalized woman, it's like, 
you, there's just so much coming at you. And so just being able to take the hits always, you know, whether it's walking, crawling, just waking up someday, right? <laughs> like just knowing that moving forward and having that grit to just keep going is um, a huge part of success. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey. Honestly, so inspiring. And I'm sure our audience is going to get up and get ready for the next challenge they have to face because nothing is truly impossible. You can do whatever you put your mind and heart to. And all you need is a group of supporters. Um, maybe that's one, maybe that's two. But have your core cheerleaders around you and you can you can totally achieve whatever you put your mind to. Thank you so much for hosting me and having this amazing podcast and sharing champion stories of just incredible people thank you do you have anything else to share um any last advice tips or anything in general no i think the only thing is make sure you're your own cheerleader as well like i said when the world is already getting you down you can't add on to it and it's easier said than done trust me i literally have serotonin tattooed onto my arm <laughs> to try and like i'm like maybe if i just look at it it'll it'll get better but <laughs> um, like i said even if it's just being kind to yourself you know um you also have to be your champion as well